Hello, everybody. This is episode 326 of the Commander's Brew. I am coming at you solo. Big shake up. Big shaken up. Things are have been shaken. Shook. I'm shook. This is the first episode I'm recording by myself without Andy as an official co-host. You could argue that I've done one by myself before when I was with the evil version of me or one of the Audricks. Uh, you know, not to not to spoil the magic of Christmas or anything, but uh, those other two people may have been me. So it may have been a solo recording there. But this is this is different. Andy is uh, Andy's. I'm, assu- I'm assuming he's doing well. He's in the middle of getting ready to move. Uh, but I'm not going to just give you the updates on Andy. Uh, I need to get used to it. I, I need to get used to doing this solo. I don't know if this is how it's going to stay. I, I don't have that planned. It's We're very, getting very close to the holidays. Um, you know, the workflow shifts. Uh, now that I'm now that I'm solo producer, editor, etc., it's a uh, different workflow. So that plus the holidays, I'm going to I'm just going to kind of go easy on myself. I hope you will, you know, ha- have a little understanding in that regard and that uh, I'm not going to overproduce these. These are going to be produced the normal amount. And as far as the plan is, I'm going to I'm going to I'm not going to put inordinate amounts of stress on myself to come up with the perfect plan right away and have it ready by January 1st. I'd love to do a cream down at some point before, you know, as the the, the next year begins is upon us. Uh, you know, I haven't actually looked at the calendar to see when the release dates line up. So let me do that now while you are listening in your ears at this very moment. Uh, so this is so if you're listening to this the day it came out, ooh. We are very close to Christmas. This is going to be released just a handful of days before Christmas Eve. I believe Christmas Eve, 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 Eve. That's a Tuesday. Uh, It's when we release Tuesdays. So if you're listening to this brand new, there you go. It's not a holiday themed one. I, you know, uh, I do not have a fancy holiday themed thing, but I I do have stuff planned. I, I do have some plans, some fun bits, uh, still tons of laughs, having a blast, want to have a good time. That's that's what we do here. This is the Commander's Brew, right? We have a bunch of laughs. We bring you some wild and wacky decks hanging out in the Discord with our pals. Uh, yeah, and you listening is a huge part of that equation, so I will continue to thank you for listening thank you very much it does mean a lot uh some of you have gone to patreon.com slash commanders brew that's a huge help especially now as we're you know in a transition period as a podcast that's gonna that's gonna be who knows what the future will bring but a lot of the possibilities you know will be made possible because of your generous support at patreon.com slash commanders brew that's great that's another thing I should think about, too. Maybe it's time to revisit that and think about what people are looking for. And in any case, I got a lot on my to-do list. And I'm not done thanking you for listening. Maybe maybe you're one of those people who's like, I would love to help, but I don't have money for Patreon.com. That's fine. Give us a like and subscribe on YouTube. That is enormous. 
How about a nice review on your podcast app? Uh, if you're going to buy magic cards anyway, go through the TCG player link in this episode's show notes or any episode for that matter. It doesn't matter what cards you get. We get a little slice of that. And to our Canadian listeners, we still have the greatest deal in town money off your magic singles if you order from the Wizards Tower. Let's hear an ad from them now. We're proud Canadian podcasters, and we're proud to be sponsored by one of Canada's premier card stores, the Wizards Tower, wizardtower.com. And Canadian listeners get an exclusive coupon code BREWCRIMSON to get 5% off any order of singles shipped to you for free, as long as you've ordered $15 or more in singles. And you can check out our deck list for this week's episode and other episodes we've done on their content site, mtgcanada.com. And remember, at a vampire wedding, RSVP stands for Red Suits Vampire Pals. Okay, so here at the Commander's Brew, we make top 10 lists sometimes. But not just any top 10 lists. uh, Our top 10 lists. Commander's Brew top 10 lists are notable because they are definitive. These are the definitive top 10 lists. You can't argue with them. I mean... You can. It's You have free will. You're allowed to try to debate, but there is no debating these. These are the definitive top 10 lists. And I think it's appropriate to, you know, this episode right here, I'm going to present to you the definitive top 10 Andy moments. Here we go. Number 10. Uh, it has been a long-standing Commander's Brew tradition that Andy and I would dress up as the two Audricks. This started when they invented the second Audric. Uh, and Andy Andy does a great Audric, I, I have to say. And leading off at number 10, Andy as Audric. Point. I can't wait to vacation on Dominaria. Ooh, counterpoint. Don't forget your sunscreen. Point! Of course not! I'm going to the beach! Counterpoint! Don't drink the water. Point! I never drink water when I'm on vacation. Only cerveza! Cerveza! See. Ah. Si. <laughs> yes. Let's move on to number nine. I don't think you can do a top ten Andes without going to one of the OGs, the creation of the Andes Mountains. Uh, this is, you know, we all know this is when the collision of the continental South American plate with the oceanic Nazca plate gave rise to these majestic mountains over 250 million years ago, the Andes Mountains. Uh, and I think that moment, the collision, I'm going to call that a moment in geological history. You got to expand your scale on geological scales. Uh, was a very important Andy moment. Definitely number nine. Number eight, Andy moment. It's Andy McDowell in Four Weddings and a Funeral. She brings a certain pathos to the role. Uh, Romantic comedies have come and gone. There's thousands of them. Uh, But Andy McDowell, I always thought she was an underrated person in a romantic comedy And that's why she makes number eight for top 10 Andy moments. Coming in at number seven in top 10 Andy moments is Andy Warhol and the Campbell's Soup Can. Andy Warhol, champion of the pop art movement, 
use of classic Americana to question capitalism and classism, and there's no better symbol to dilute his work in sculpture, film, fashion, and silk screening down to a singular image than his classic Campbell's soup can. And on a personal note, uh, Andy Warhol was the subject of an art assignment I did in grade 10. It got me an A and overall raised my high school average that year. Thanks, Andy. Number six. We cannot, we cannot do a top 10 Andy moments without addressing the master Andy Circus. This CGI master actor transforms himself from role to role, and we first got to know him as Gollum or Smeagol from The Lord of the Rings. Uh, now, technically, he might not be Smeagol. I think Smeagol was the person that that creature used to be and got turned into Gollum. You know, he kind of barfs the word Gollum a few times. It's so gross. But Andy Serkis, a chameleon of voice and face. Uh, here, I'm going to present a little clip as to why he deserves to be on this list. And it's Gollum and or Smeagol arguing with himself. This is one actor and one character kind of arguing to himself. It's not that different from when I talk to myself because it's been a very long pandemic and I've taken to doing that sometimes. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. Not listening. Not listening. You're a liar and a thief. No. Murderer. Number five. Everybody's favorite office character Andy Bernard from The Office. Here he is in the funniest part of that whole show, <laughs> the parkour. Here it is, here it is. Uh, truck to refrigerators to dumpster, 360 spin onto the palace, backflip gainer into the trash can. Yeah, 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 yeah. Parkour, parkour! Parkour, parkour! I'm right behind you, Andy! Come on! Hardcore. Okay, number four. Here's a little behind-the-scenes look at making a top ten Andy list. I am also including Andrews. It wouldn't be fair to only include Andy's because sometimes it's interchangeable, and I don't want to split hairs on if someone counts as an Andrew or an Andy. They're making the top ten Andy list because of their wonderful contribution to the silver screen, and that's Julie Andrews, or Julie Andes, as I like to call her. Number three in our top Andy moments goes to the name on the bottom of Woody's foot, Andy, when it was put there by the character of Andy from Disney's Toy Story films. This action of putting his name on the bottom of Woody's foot started off the entire series. Without that pivotal moment, which happened before the movie even began, I think, it's been a long time since I've seen it. But without that moment, we would not give rise to one of the greatest animated franchises of all times. It makes us laugh. It makes us cry. Thanks, Andy. Coming up to the top. Number two. Second time on the list. My boy Andy as Bruce Tarl. Here's another clip of us doing some bruised news segments where we would dress up as silly characters and do bits and things. This is... Uh, an excerpt of Andy as Bruce Tarl 
from our Bruce and Bruce Watch and DVDs series. And here are some of his thoughts on the movie Space Jam, the original. This was recorded before there was ever a Space Jam 2. How do you feel about cartoon characters mixing with real-life actors? This was confusing to uh, Bruce. Uh, I have a problem uh, seeing, understanding which one is a real man, which one is a cartoon man. Uh, some of the cartoon men look like the men from before, uh, the monsters. Uh, also, why is Sean Bradley in this movie? Uh, I think this movie was not too good. Uh, I'm going to give this movie two, uh, two Dallas Mavericks out of 17 Seattle Supersonics. Bruce, I am impressed at the research you've done on Earth basketball. Oh, Bruce is a bit of a ball head. <laughs> ball is life. And number one. You knew it. I love a top 10 list because everybody out there is thinking, well, surely this is on the list. And when you don't hear it and you finish number two, everybody knows it's got to be number one because surely it wouldn't be left off the list, right? And number one, top 10 Andy moment, Morgan Freeman from the Shawshank Redemption. I know and Morgan Freeman did not play Andy Dufresne, but he acted as the narrator in the movie. And his silky, velvety voice spoke the name Andy Dufresne to us, the viewers, so many times. I think it's just one. It is the best Andy moment. Top 10. Hearing Morgan Freeman say the name Andy. Here's a clip. Andy Dufresne who crawled through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side. Andy Dufresne. Sometimes it makes me sad, though, Andy being gone. I have to remind myself that some birds aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright. And when they fly away, the part of you that knows it was a sin to lock them up does rejoice. But still, the place you live in is that much more drab and empty that they're gone. I guess I just miss my friend. Yeah. Top 10 Andy moments. Thanks, gang. So let's get to the deck tech, shall we? Okay, so we're brewing around Timon and Rhoda. Let's read the commanders. They're partners. Timon made their first appearance in 1984's The Lion King, promoting a problem-free philosophy with his best pal Pumbaa, and then later in 2004 became the lead of The Lion King 1.5. Does that count as a sequel? It has a smaller number, but it came out after Lion King 2. I'm not sure, but you can consider it the fate reforged of the Lion King movies. And Timon partners with Rhoda. Now, if that Timon joke appeals to the millennial listeners, this is a joke for the boomers in the crowd. Uh, Rhoda was the CBS sitcom that was a spinoff of the Mary Tyler Moore show starring Valerie Harper and Julie Kavner, who is the voice of Marge Simpson. Uh, notably, that show was produced by James L. Brooks, who later went on to produce The Tracy Ullman Show and The Simpsons, which is where Marge Simpson still performs today with Julie Kavner. 
Um, the Tracy Ullman Show was that sketch comedy show where The Simpsons first appeared in 1987, which was about 20 years ago. Don't do the math for me. 1987 was a lot of years ago, and I hate to think about it. Uh, I was about to put a clip of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where that dude drinks from the wrong cup and he like gets really old really quickly, kind of turns into the Crypt Keeper, but I think it was a little scarier than I wanted to put on the YouTube show here. So I'm not going to actually put that. You chose poorly. Truthfully, Timon, what Timon does, Timon is a four and a blue legendary spirit for 3-4, partners with Rhoda, flying, and at the beginning of each combat, tap up to one target creature. Could be one of ours, could be one of our opponents. And Rhoda is three and a white, partners with Timon, obviously. Uh, three, three with vigilance, and whenever an opponent's creature becomes tapped for a non-combat reason, if it isn't being declared as an attacker, put a plus one, plus one counter on Rhoda, Geist Avenger. So you can see how these partners work really well together. Rhoda costs four, Timon costs five. So we're probably going to cast them in that order. But once they're both out there, Rhoda's sitting there getting counters when things are tapped. But Timon is the character, the, the card that taps other creatures not declared as attackers. Uh, and this is the beginning of each combat. So... I cast Rhoda on my turn. Timon's already out. On my combat step, tap a creature. Rhoda gets one bigger. On the next combat step, Rhoda gets one bigger. So in a four-player game, by the time it gets back to me, Rhoda is already a 7-7 just from Timon doing their thing. And it is perfectly reasonable to keep tapping creatures on the board of the person one turn ahead of you so that they won't untap when your turn begins. That's four blockers out of the way. That's This This deck wants to tussle. This is an attacking Azorius deck. Uh, alternatively, I guess strategically, you could attack, you could keep tapping the deck that's behind you, and that way your opponents will have a better chance of getting in as it gets closer to their turn. It's entirely up to you, but uh, fun partners, and it should be fun to brew around them. So let's see what we came up with. Setting the scene. The vegetables, the basics. Um, Azorius as colors, the vegetables are pretty laid out as to what they are. You know, you know what you like to run in your blue-white decks. Uh, blue brings the counter spells on the draw. White brings the wraths and the enchantment removal, artifact removal, and maybe a little bit of spot removal for creatures in the form of swords to plowshares, path to exile, that sort of thing. Um, you could very easily just load up your favorites in all of those categories and call it a day. Uh, but I'm going to highlight a few of the vegetables that I think are especially neat in this deck. Uh, Heliod's Punishment. This is an enchantment. It's one and a white for an aura. It enchants a creature. And Heliod's Punishment enters the battlefield with four task counters on it. I forgot that they were called task counters. So many weird counters in this game. The enchanted creature can't attack or block, and it loses it loses all abilities. This is different than those cards that are pacifism, but it just says it can't use activated abilities. Because if it said it can still it just can't use activated abilities, then this would do no good if it just provides a general buff, or if it's just like all your creatures get plus one plus one, or your spells can't be countered. It wouldn't take that away, but Heliod's Punishment actually takes all that stuff away. You can pretend it has no text. So it can't attack or block, loses all abilities, and it has tap 
remove a task counter from Heliod's punishment. Then, if there are no task counters on it, destroy Heliod's punishment. It's always shocking to me to think about how short a commander game is in terms of turns, because it takes hours to get through one sometimes. But a lot of commander games are like 11 turns, 7 turns. They're not a million turns. So tapping to remove a task counter... You have to, like, tap it four times to remove the task counters. And if you assume that the fourth tap, you're not going to get to untap yet. Now, I know some creatures kind of become active whether they're tapped or not. But this is about four turns to not have to deal with a creature. Now, are they going to tap it to give Rhoda extra counters? Maybe. Maybe not. I mean, they might just consider the creatures out of commission for the rest of the game anyway. I might. I mean, if I've got a sack deck, I'm going to sacrifice it to something. But the option's there. For two mana, it just totally takes out a creature. And if it's a commander, that's something. Like, are you going to... You're probably going to tap it and hope you get your commander back in four turns. But that's most of the game. Uh, I don't know if you can rely on that. So obviously, this deck is all about a tapping and untapping. That's sort of the theme of things. And a great little card to do this is Twiddle. Great name, too. Um, it's, it reads, the caster may tap or untap any one land, creature, or artifact in play. No effects are generated by the target card. Uh, the oracle text is just instant blue, tap or untap an artifact, land, or creature. So, again, useful for Rhoda. Rhoda has vigilance, if I didn't make that clear, so we're always able to attack anyway, as long as we have a clear board or a safe board to attack into, and still defend as a gigantic creature. Bit of a Voltron thing. And so we're running Twiddle, because we can get an extra counter if we need, get a blocker out of the way. Like, as I said, this is a Azorius deck that likes to attack, and a lot of times we're tapping things down so there aren't a lot of blockers in the way for us and our opponents who are also attacking other opponents. So... Once we've got Twiddle in the deck, obviously we're going to want to run lands that tap for two, like Azorius Chancery. This is the bounce land. It taps for white-blue, but you have to return a land to your hand as it enters the battlefield. Untapping that with Twiddle nets us a white mana. Guildless Commons is the same thing, but it's for two colorless. The Karoo lands are in here, too. Uh, the white one... It's the same. They're very similar. The The Karoo lands, the white and the blue one, is a little bit different in the sense that you have to return an untapped planes to its owner's hand. Azorius Chancery and Guildless Commons, you get to use a land and then return a tapped land, any land. But the Karoo lands are a bit more specific about which lands you have to return. In any case, we love untapping these with things like Twiddle or other things. So, of course, now that we've got this going... You can see the cascade effect here. We definitely want to run something like Frantic Search. Uh, this is the two and a blue instant where you draw two, discard two, and then untap up to three lands. It's net zero mana, but we can profit mana if we're using one of those double lands. Um, Temple of the False Gods, is that in here? I mean, I like to run it, but it's up to you whether or not you think it's worth it or not. Some people don't. Play pretty casual, play pretty budget, so I like it. You know, and now we're thinking about like cards like Unwind or Rewind, like counter spells that also untap lands. It's all kind of a cascade effect. A lot of the different deck decisions start to influence other ones. I find that so fascinating. Uh, but that covers a lot of the basic draw, ramp, removal kind of deal. I think it's time we get to some hummy hummies. 
Meat. All right. I told you this was an attacking deck, and I wasn't lying. We like to attack, and any deck with white in its color identity that likes to attack needs Loyal Unicorn. And I can't stress this enough. This card is even better if you have partnered commanders because you it, it, every both of the partners count as your commander. So Loyal Commander is three and a white unicorn, Vigilance, three, four, and it has Lieutenant. So at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control your commander, we have two of them. So there's a very good chance we do. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to creatures you control this turn, and other creatures you control gain Vigilance until end of turn. So our whole board attacks with Vigilance, and they don't take combat damage. Let's go. Let's just turn everyone... I mean, I would say let's turn everyone sideways, but no one's turning sideways if Loyal Unicorn's on your side. Loyal Unicorn is incredible in a deck that wants to attack. This is no exception. And of course, you know, like if we like to attack, why not run Linvala, Shield of Seagate, one blue, white, legendary angel, wizard, three, three with flying. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you have a full party, you know, and I'm, I'm going to skip this part because I don't even think we can make a full party. Uh, <laughs> if we have a full party, though, choose target non-land permanent and opponent controls until your next turn. It can't attack or block and its activated, activated abilities can't be activated. That will never happen with us. I mean, I should double check. I assume we didn't build for party, but we might. Hmm. It's an excellent question. This is your wizard, warrior, cleric, and rogue. I don't know. We might. We might. What are Timon and Rhoda? They're spirits. No, Rhoda's a soldier. Okay, now I'm now I'm really wondering about it. I'm gonna like I know we've got at least I know we've got at least one cleric in here. Anyway. That's not the big part of Linvala. Linvala's big ability is sacrifice Linvala, creature, uh, choose hexproof or indestructible. Creatures you control gain that ability until end of turn. So, again, if we need to, that's a way to save our commander. Like, it's a bit of a Voltron build here. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be Voltron, though. Like, a lot of our creatures are just able to get through because of how much tapping is going on. But in the event we need to put all our eggs in the Rota basket, We'll get through that way. Uh, and we need Linvala to protect just in case if our opponents think that's our game plan. So sacking Linvala, give it indestructible, give it hexproof, whatever is more appropriate. Uh, that's how we're going to protect Rhoda. And again, in that cascading effect style, not official cascade, but we're going to run Sun Titan. This is for white, white for a 6-6 giant with vigilance. It's a commander classic. I bet you, you know what Sun Titan does. Uh, when it enters the battlefield or attacks, return target permanent with value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Linvala is a three, and Linvala ends up in the graveyard a lot. So that's one of many cards. And again, cascading effects. I love it. I love how a deck kind of shows itself to you. If you listen, you must be a deck whisperer and listen to what the cards are telling you to do. And you can just find great other choices. We're a tap slash untap deck. Cards that untap are great, including Order of White Clay. It's like mini Sun Titan, one white white, Kifkin Cleric, one four, there's our cleric. And for one white white and untap, creature has to be tapped for you to be able to use this ability, much like creatures with tap abilities have to be untapped for you to use them. 
Oftentimes, untapped abilities ask you to get into combat. Vehicles are a great way around this. We're not really running vehicles, but we can just, if we want to, Timon can tap one of our own creatures. It doesn't have to be an opposing creature. So we can tap Order of White Clay and then pay one white white untapped Order of White Clay, return target creature card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Awesome. Order of White Clay is a 1-4, just so you know. But that's how we're going to get Linvala back or any of our small two drops uh, that like to attack. I didn't mention this earlier, but uh, a lot of our ramp that we're also leaning towards are there's a there's a new suite. There's a lot more white creatures that bring a planes into the battlefield or put a planes into your hand. Uh, we're running a few of those. They like to attack as well. So if they die or if we end up chumping with them, Order of White Clay can bring them back and ramp us further if that's what's going on. Excellent card. So we're attacking. We're doing a lot of damage. Hopefully. We're tapping things, untapping things. Any deck where this is going on, do not underestimate Tromocratus as a finisher. Five white white for a Kraken. Tromocratus has hexproof unless it's attacking or blocking. That's great. Safe. Can't mess it around. Tromocratus can't be blocked unless all creatures defending player controls block it. And the reminder text that helps us out says, if any creature that player controls doesn't block this creature, it can't be blocked oh i don't know if one of them got tapped then no one can block it this is kind of like eight free damage getting in worded word is out we don't know yet like you we may not need this like if everything's going according to plan we'll be able to tap everything with timon and other effects so tromocratus will just get in regardless of the ability because there's no one left to block possibly in any case this is a great thing to have as backup because, as we know, you don't always have your commanders around. Okay, I hinted with Order of White Clay earlier that creatures with untap are also good. So if you're a deck that wants to do a lot of tapping and untapping, let's look towards in the Inspired mechanic. This is a mechanic from Theros where creatures, when they become untapped, something happens. And of course, again... They're not that big. They can die in combat easily, so you're hesitant to attack with them most of the time. But we don't need to attack with them. Let's just tap them. Untap them and get the ability. Daring Thief. Two in a blue. Human Rogue. <gasps> this is a rogue. All we need is a warrior. And we've, we do have a party hidden in here. Let's, I can't wait. Uh, two in a blue. Human Rogue. Two, three. Inspired. So when Daring Thief becomes untapped, you may exchange control of target non-land permanent you control and target permanent an opponent controls that shares a type with it. Obviously, if we have a dinky little creature, little rootin' tootin' creature that isn't doing much right now, maybe one of our little one of our little elks or things that fetched us a plains, maybe the, the Knight of the White Orchid or something, isn't doing us much good. A 2-2 first strike isn't that helpful anymore. We can trade that for a gruesome creature on the battlefield with daring thief heliod's punishment although it is an aura attached to an enemy creature we are the controller of heliod's punishment so we can just exchange that with another wicked enchantment on the battlefield and start to have that this card's great in a blue white deck because we often have we, we can get little tokens if we wanted to i mean i'll save that discussion for later but we could go sort of a more tokeny brew with this, 
And Daring Thief just really lights up in that case because we can trade stupid tokens away. I don't mean all tokens are stupid. I don't mean to be judgmental. I'm sorry, tokens. You bring a lot to the game, and you're very valuable. I wouldn't want to anger Brutaclad. Sorry, tokens. So that covers the creatures, but enchantments. Uh, any deck with white in it has a lot of great enchantments, journey to nowhere type of effects, uh, little enchantments that exile creatures until the enchantment leaves the battlefield. Uh, Heliod's Punishment is similar but different, but these are enchantments that are great to trade with people for other enchantments because, as I said, they don't change what they're doing just because they change control. Another inspired creature that we've got in the deck is Arbiter of the Ideal. Four blue blue for a four five sphinx with flying and has inspired so whenever it becomes untapped reveal the top card of your library if it's an artifact creature or land you may put it onto the battlefield with a manifestation to counter on it and that permanent is an enchantment in addition to its other types this is another way we can get into with the daring thief stuff to trade like little creatures or little artifact creature or land yeah we could flip a land and it becomes an enchantment land which we could trade for a wicked enchantment if we want to that is warping or ramping our opponents a little bit but i don't mind in this case if it's a good enough enchantment for sure so arbiter of the ideal works well with uh, daring thief and just tapping and untapping in general this one can untap on its own a lot because it's a four or five flyer as well good attacker we like good attackers Okay, it's a white-blue deck, meaning we have blue in it. I don't want to pass any judgment on this, but there some. I'll just ask you, dear listener, how do you feel when you are the person at the table who gets to ask, do you want to pay one for Ristic? Uh, if you love saying, do you want to pay one for Ristic, but you don't want everyone at the table to hate you, then I've got the card for you. Ristic Deluge. Not Ristic Study, Ristic Deluge. Two and a blue for an enchantment, and you can pay a blue, tap target creature unless its controller pays one colorless. So you tap a blue, and you say, Do you want to pay one for Ristic Deluge? And they say, Oh, yeah, this card's fine. Yeah, sure, I'll pay one. It's like, Okay, I'm going to pay another blue. Do you want to pay one for a Ristic? And they're like, Oh, actually, I'm kind of out of mana, so I can't. So, okay, tap my thing. Okay, tap a blue. Do you want to pay one for Ristic? No, I I'm tell, I'll tell you, I'm out of mana. I cannot pay for Ristic anymore. One, blue. Do you want to pay for Ristic? Okay, now I'm getting mad that you keep saying, do you want to pay one for Ristic? Because I, you know the answer is no. Don't ask me anymore because I cannot. Uh, and so we're going to keep tapping blue. They're going to keep getting mad and they're going to have no blockers anymore. Again, this card, it's one of those cards where like if they have one extra... Sure, that's fine, but a lot of people end up tapping out. And if they are a deck that's kind of like, maybe they want to keep up a bunch of mana to do something, maybe they've held up two blue. Well, I'm going to just tap something of yours to see how important it is for you to keep up two blue. It's kind of a nice way to fish out a counterspell if they've just kept the minimum open. And now it puts our opponents into positions where they have to consider it. Like tapping out fully means you can spend your resources to like, tap them out creature wise it depends how they're doing how their board's looking but i, I think this card it has some really interesting play to it i love these super old cards uh here's another really old one if you love old cards how about shoving match great art great art first of all thank you dave dorman 
<laughs> it's some sort of gin pushing a person, shoving a person. It's a shoving match. I, it doesn't look like he's putting a lot of energy into the shove. It looks like a pretty casual shove. So this gin is very strong because of how little effort he appears to be using to shove this other character. In any case, it's two and a blue for an instant. Until end of turn, all creatures gain tap, tap target creature. So we now, all creatures gain this. So it's one of those things where your opponents can like be like, well, okay, I'm going to tap yours down before you can tap mine. And so the stack is going to be like, okay, I'll use this little creature to tap your creature. And like, well, if you're tapping my creature, I will use that creature to tap this other creature. Well, if you're tapping my creature, I'll use this to tap another creature. And this, this really cascades into a really huge shoving match. This card is perfect for what it says it does and how it plays out. Um, I've never played this card in real life in paper, but I would love to. I think it would be so fun. I'll read you the flavor text. Rishadon barkeeps know something the Mercadians have yet to learn. If you keep pushing, someone will eventually push back. Hmm. Yeah. Similar. Uh, it's, it's not too different from voids. I hear if you look into voids, the void looks back at you too. Uh, and that actually just sounds like Newton's second law. Every action has an opposite reaction. Something like that. One of Newton's laws. Anyway, old news shoving match fun card and you might be asking okay so if this deck wants to attack isn't this bad to play it no we can just do it on our end step or on the previous player's end step and then just use our whole board to tap out a crucial board of our opponents because we're about to untap everything we can make sure it doesn't really affect us that much um another thing that's neat about this is you know Rhoda has Vigilance. Um, we've got a couple of enchantments to give the team Vigilance. Loyal Unicorn, if the Loyal Unicorn's on, our whole team has Vigilance. So we can still be attacking and get to use all these tap abilities as well. So I think this is a super fun old card. Ooh, how about a Planeswalker? Uh, how about Teferi who slows the sunset? Two white-blue legendary Planeswalker, Teferi. Four loyalty to start, and this is... I guess this is meant to be a more fair of the like five to fairy. I don't know the full name of it. I uh, didn't bother, but a lot of people don't like that one. This one starts with four loyalty plus one. Choose up to one target artifact, up to one target creature, and up to one target land. Untap them if they're yours. Tap them if you're they're your opponents. You gain two life. You can also minus two to look at the top three cards put one into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. And if you get to seven, you can minus seven to get an emblem with untap all permanents you control during each opponent's untap step. And you draw a card during each opponent's draw step. This is a card that seems okay, but that ultimate is legit. They give us a wide range of ultimates these days where it's like, oh, so your ultimate is just overrun one time. This is a full emblem where everything untaps and you get extra cards. So your opponents will have to deal with this. Absolutely. However, the plus one plays right into our game plan. Maybe we're going to tap one of your creatures. Rhoda gets bigger. 
Uh, we're going to tap one of your lands, so you have less ability to do things. Or we're going to untap one of our dual lands. When I say dual, I mean lands that tap for two. Get extra mana out of that. Maybe we're going to untap a Gilded Lotus on our team, something like that. Gilded Lotus is a very nice artifact to untap. In any case, that's what we're doing. We're, we're giving ourselves way more mana to do stuff with. We're taking opportunities away from our opponents. We're making Rota bigger. And if we get to seven, that ultimate's a game ender. Well, for value eventually. Yeah. We got a secret finisher. Sleep. Two blue blue. Sorcery. Tap all creatures target player controls. Those creatures don't untap during that player's next untap step. That's a million years in Commander. Well, what if I cast Sleep on the player behind me? I go opponent number two, opponent number three. Then they get their first does not untap. One, two, three more combat steps. Then they finally untap. That's six combat steps where they get nothing to, no creatures to untap unless they've played new creatures. Or they got creature generation. It's totally possible, but man, Sleep does work. Um... And finally, I want to mention a card that also does a ton of work in this deck. It's Verity Circle. Two and a blue for an enchantment. This deck loves this card. What is it, a gumball? It's an enchantment. Whenever a creature an opponent controls becomes tapped, if it isn't being declared as an attacker, that's the Timon ability, you may draw a card. So now Timon is basically giving us a card draw every opponent's combat step. And ours too. So minimum, minimum. Very nice, very nice. And this is, oh man, Verity Circle. They printed this before. Like, I just know if they printed that today, it would have said this only works once each term. Ooh, they get stingy sometimes with these abilities. Maybe for limited, I don't know. But thank you, Wizards, for giving us the full ability. So there you go. There's the deck. Uh, we're attacking for a lot. We've got a lot of fun ways to tap creatures uh i want to thank our discord helpers truly uh first person i gotta thank in the discord andy h uh my boy andy i'm actually finishing this deck for him uh he started it in the discord with other disc members of our discord uh, but i'm picking up the reins and i'm finishing this deck for him uh, i'm not sure if this is how andy would have built it but i'll present a couple of other options in a little bit um also thank you to mattis men Micah Eternities Crafter, Chiefy, Doomfrog, Mr. Big Bents, Pips Don't Lie, and Papa Dio. Thanks for all your help putting this deck together. So it's an attacky deck. We've got 100 cards in here, 98 plus our two commanders that are partners. I want to present a couple of other ways you might be wanting to take this deck. Definitely one way we could go that kind of was talked about in the Discord is a Staxy sort of thing. Um, Azorius is great for stacks. You can go as hard or as light as you want on that, but Strict Proctor is a nice one. One in a white as a spirit cleric, one three with flying. Whenever a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability to trigger, counter that ability unless its controller pays two. Obviously, we can build our deck where this doesn't affect us. It doesn't affect our commanders. They don't have ETB abilities, except the partners with ability to search for each other, but since they're in their command zone, we never need to do that. The other cool thing about this is the Karoo lands, the lands that tap for two that ask you to return another land to your hand, those, we, we now get to counter those. Of course, our opponents get to benefit from that as well, but that actually kind of helps our deck a little bit in that way. I don't mind that. 
um, let's put opposition in that version of the deck, right? Uh, this is the two blue blue enchantment. Tap an untapped creature you control, and you get to tap an artifact creature or land. It's twiddle, but the cost is tapping one of your creatures. Uh, when the team's got vigilance, you know how that works. Everyone attacks, and then everyone taps after being declared as attackers to do a bunch of shenanigans. This is a true... You can tap opponent's lands and just lock them out of the game. Opposition is mean. Um, throw a token generator in there, and you can probably lock a player out of the game for the rest of the game unless someone makes a deal. It's in this deck. It's in this version, but this is not meant to be super stacksy. This is just meant to be a light little bit of opposition. Just a a snacks <laughs> instead of calling it stacks yes that's i'm gonna that's my term this is not a stacks deck stacks locks players out of the game this is a snacks deck it's just little bits of opposition little bits of slowing you down little extra costs you have to spend here and there but just a snacks worth <laughs> i like it snacks deck Another way you could take this deck is just load it up with creatures that have activated abilities. Since we can tap and untap things that's sort of built into the plan, just trade out a bunch of cards that are already in the deck and add something like Arcanus the Omnipotent. Three blue, 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 legendary wizard. Three, four, tap, draw three cards. Two blue, blue, return Arcanus to its owner's hand. I always forget that ability exists because I'm, I'm never doing it. I'm just tapping and untapping and drawing six cards a turn. That's pretty good. Um, if we like tapping and untapping, how about an Emery, Lurker of the Lock? Two and a blue. If it's a one-two Merfolk Wizard, this is the creature where when it ETBs, you mill four, and Emery costs one less for every artifact under your control, and you get to tap Emery to cast an artifact card from your graveyard this turn. If... We've got this angle. If Emery's in here, we're going to skew our mana rocks into like mana rocks that can sacrifice themselves. Commander Sphere gets way more valuable. Mindstone. Uh, the maps. Renegade map and Expedition map. Uh, artifacts that like to end up in the graveyard are great if you have something like Emery in here. And why not run something like Jace, Jace's Archivist? One blue blue for a Vidalcom Wizard. Two two. Another wizard. Still never found that warrior, huh? Um, yeah, Jace's Archivist, one blue, blue, blue tap. Each player dumps their hand and draws that many cards equal to the cards, a, a play, the greatest number of cards a player discarded this way. Jace's Archivist is cool. You can use it when you would actually net cards from it. But, you know, in a white blue deck, maybe there are times where we would actually be giving our opponents more cards, but we'd be ruining their game plans and ruining their days. People hate wheels. I love wheels. And so if we're filling our graveyard that way, like, let's throw Hannah Ship's Navigator with another tap ability. One white blue. One two. With an ability, one white two tap. Return target artifact or enchantment from your graveyard to your hand. These are our Heliod's punishments. These are our pacifisms that have done their work and maybe gone to the graveyard again. Uh, maybe someone deals with our uh, propaganda if we want to do the snacks version of it. I love the term snacks. I'm keeping it. Yeah. So a lot of options, cool commanders. I have to admit, these commanders did not excite me when I first saw them, but uh, you start digging a little deeper and it, it comes out pretty neat. And of course, you know, another thanks to the Discord team. Uh, we got some bright minds in there. Thank you. And let's get to the budget report. 
TCG mid for this deck, 88 bucks. The low, 93. TCG, how come your low is more than your mid so many times? Anyway, uh, most expensive card in the deck, you'll never believe this, or maybe you will, Swan Song. I just threw it in as a random vegetable, just like a one-mana counter spell. One blue instant counter target enchantment instant or sorcery spell. I mean, it shouldn't be surprising that this is a $12 card now. $12. Uh, it only costs one mana. It's more powerful. It's, a, it's better than negate because the 2-2 is usually irrelevant in a gimmick commander. But like, this is why negate's so good in commander, right? Instants and sorceries are most often the thing that ruins your day and your deck and your plan. So Swan Song is a one mana way to stop any of those. It's perfect. Uh, but it's 12 bucks. Cut it for negate. Uh, opposition is in this deck. It's like 10 bucks. You can find a really cheap one if you those gold border championship deck versions, uh, if you don't mind running them. I mean, if you're already doing that, though, just, you know, proxy. Uh, but that's 10 bucks. And I guess it's in standard. I never bothered to look it up before I threw it in, but I, I chucked in Memory Deluge, two blue blue for an instant. It's a new card from... Um, it's not Crimson Vow, it's from a Midnight Hunt. Uh, it's an instant for four. Look at the top X cards of your library where X is the amount of mana spent to cast this. And then it has flashes back for five blue blue. So, you know, it seems like a decent dig through time variant, but I think I'd rather run dig through time because this is seven bucks. But yeah, feel free to cut some things. Um, it's an Azorius deck that likes to attack. I'm a big fan. Thank you, Crimson Vow Commander decks. Uh, thank you to the patrons who are hanging out on the Discord, helping us brew. You could become one of those if you wanted. And thanks for listening. Uh, that's the deck. Um, if you want to leave a comment, that'd be awesome. What are you? Who's your favorite Azorius attacking creature? Uh, thanks for listening, gang. See you next time when we bring you a brand new deck tech. Bye. Okay, there were no, actually no warriors in the deck, but uh what about avenging hunt bonder three white white for a human warrior it's a three three with double strike whenever avenging hunt bonder attacks put a double strike counter on another target attacking creature that's pretty good rhoda gets enormous uh rhoda gets up to 11 pretty easily so this is a one hit kill i mean it's two hits but it's we can get rhoda to 21 pretty easily with avenging hunt bonder it's five mana for a warrior but I don't know. I think I want to mize one warrior in the deck just to maybe get that Linvala bonus. Anyway, that's the one.